Well, good afternoon. Um, just thought I'd share uh, what uh, Austin Kleon calls uh, dispatches. Just share what I've been working on this week. So I mentioned in the last podcast that I read um, uh, Carl Jung's Red Book uh, a couple few times, actually. Uh, then proceeded to read his Ion, his book Ion, which is essentially the phenomenology of, of the self. As you well understand, if you've listened to my podcast, that's a big part of, I mean, Yogacara, Buddhism, Vedanta, Shaivism, uh, and essentially what I'm after, right? Uh, the, uh, the Greek Delphic oracle or maxim of know thyself, right? And I've had to do that myself. I've had to learn how to understand some very basic things to be able to even do that. So, Red Book... Um, Carl Jung. So actually this week, uh, I spent the week listening to Carl Jung's Red Book and uh, Friedrich Nietzsche's uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, uh, because I had that weird uh, belief, and I believe I was 100% correct, uh, because he even mentions it. Uh, Carl Jung himself mentioned it when he was planning the Red Book, uh, that he was recommended to do it in uh, in a Zarathustra form or an autobiographical form. Uh, arguably, not a lot of difference between the two, especially when you understand the philosophy, right? The the unity of opposites, right? The self and other, uh, no separation. The I and other, the self, uh, using these terms a little interchangeably. So what I spent... Uh, the week doing was uh, listening to Nietzsche's Zarathustra. Again, if you follow my podcast, you know I've, I've read the book countless times. But back and forth, listening to uh, Carl Jung's Red Book and Nietzsche's Zarathustra, you can see within it what I've said before, that Carl Jung was intimidated uh, by Nietzsche because of his language. And you can see that, that Jung is attempting uh, off and on this... Um, what would we call it, uh, aphoratic structure that uh, Nietzsche likes to take, meaning he writes in, a, in kind of like an illuminating prose sort of format. He tries to say more in a sentence than some authors will say uh, in an entire book or struggle to even say in a book. Long story short, um, the reason why I did this is because Jung did a series of lectures on Kundalini, which is just the, the energy that you're meant to nurture, prana, uh, prajna, uh, it can mean wisdom, it can mean energy, it can mean understanding, uh, and depending on how you pronounce it, it can mean breath as well. So it's interesting that it, it coincides with Jung's idea of the anima, the animas, uh, numa. Uh, he's mentioned all of this, this idea of breath, life, energy, likely got that from the Yijing, uh, because that's where they went and combined breath uh, and energy, right? It's prana and prajna in Sanskrit. In uh, the Asian, um, it became one, uh, kind of combined together, right? Uh, the idea of chi. Um, and what Jung saw was this synergy, but I don't think he saw how deeply this was all connected. Um, but what he did share was... His teaching of know thyself, he calls it um, uh, individuation. 
uh, active imagination is how he gets to this individuation. What that is, is the persona is what I've explained before, this idea of you put on a, a mask to others. But you, and I've explained this as well, you have to look at the Japanese idea of multiple masks where you even put on a mask for yourself. So you're hiding your true self from yourself. And Jung goes into this, the idea of uh, there's the I, this uh, construct that we uh, hobble together, that we consider the self. There's another one that we try to have others believe that is us, the self, the I. And then he separates that from a true self. Um, I, I would call it identity of uh, the individual, uh, this this uh, collaboration of chittas, <laughs> even chitta being the Sanskrit word for consciousness. So if you were to collect all of these different personas, collect the different chittas, right, this perception of the mind, right, be it ear, nose, throat, or images, preferences, emotions, all of these collective ideations that we consider the self, you use active imagination to separate what is fantasy, what is theater, narrative, uh, what is true, um, which tends to be limited, right? Because we, we like to fool ourselves. But the idea of Jung's therapy is to separate the construct of the self from what is what you would call the fountainhead uh, of, of existence, right? What, what do I mean by that? He's arguing, like uh, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, uh, the Atman, we don't really have uh, an independent self. We fool ourselves into believing that we're a separate individual. But what we really are in these philosophies is a divine being acting as a finite being, right? So we have within us our, our power, what propels us, right? In German, Macht. What, what propels us um, is the energy of the Shakti or the Kundalini or um, uh, the, the Fountainhead, the Godhead, whatever you'd want to call it. But what we have is this collective soul that we share. And we work on trying to individuate ourselves from this collective. So the idea here that Jung was talking about, he said that he had lost his soul, but this idea of understanding one's relation to the universe, right? This is... Uh, Purusha and Prakti in Sanskrit. So, the phenomena of life separate from the existence. Right? So, Carl Jung's act of imagination was an attempt to leave reason aside, and I'm going to get to the reason why I mentioned that, uh, so that you're able to work within sense and nonsense, as he says, because our finite minds will treat the infinite as nonsense. That's where this idea comes from. So, individuation is a process of arguably, I've said it before, this 
idea of ego recontextualization, right? Separating what you uh, mistakenly believe is you, yourself, independent from the system. Uh, Jung believes uh, very much that uh, we, we are all powered by the Shakti or Dakini, this, this energy of, of providence, a divine energy, whatever you'd want to call it. But we're all powered by the same force. And this, this act of differentiation is actually, I think, partially uh, uh, titled in a, in a dualistic, uh, oxymoronic sort of fashion because of the duality of non-duality. Right? He, uh, Carl Jung talks a lot about... Um, uh, what is it, the, uh, the contradiction of the opposites, uh, because our goal is to uh, blend those opposites, just like uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem. This is why I've said that it is uh, a treatise on Buddhism, on Vedanta, on the philosophy. Because when he says, uh, when you learn to treat triumph and disaster as the impostors they are, that's this idea that Jung is trying to get to. Um, that it's the union of the opposites, unity. Right? So he, what I've found out is he's turned a lot of people off because he is so uh, focused on uh, the Western um, canon. right? So the Bible, Christ, Gnosticism, alchemy, from a Western perspective. He was very enamored with the East, I think partially because of the, the universality of this message of the archetypes of the symbolism, but also because it was different, it was strange, it was new. Um, and this is what I was getting at. So this week, the last, I guess, month or longer, when I got into Jung here and really studying him, uh, it was an attempt to see if William James, uh, his philosophy, his psychology had influenced Jung. Because in Jung's philosophy, I hear a lot of William James' radical empiricism, right? Uh, even uh, William James, who wrote about this long before uh, Carl Jung did, this idea of a collective unconscious. I hear all the time how people say uh, Jung came up with this idea of a collective unconscious, the zealot. But did they read um, William James? I know his radical empiricism wasn't... Um, published till after his death, but again, uh, the people he was talking to, this small circle of psychology at the time, I highly doubt this was something that was missed. And considering that when it was published, this was the exact time that Carl Jung was doing his research into this whole field, I argue there is a synergy, a connection, right? So we have this connection of the Upanishads, of Yogacara, of Buddhism, uh, Max Müller and uh, Hoyer, all of these Germans who translated from the Sanskrit a lot of this philosophy. But the string that I never thought, again, what's hilarious, is uh, Carl Jung got a lot of his philosophy. He even accredits uh, Nietzsche as being one of the first psychologists, but almost all of his philosophy stems from Nietzsche. And Nietzsche's philosophy, very heavily influenced by Schopenhauer, who was heavily influenced by the Upanishads. So once again, they're all connected. But what I found shocking 
is Carl Jung attributes his uh, philosophy and his insights to his Mandela practice, or um, he talks about how uh, the secret of the golden flower, which was a, a Taoist a meditation uh, manual, a little later, and it was what we would call the Xi'an uh, take. So a very uh, wizardy uh, kind of take on this, this idea of, of uh, developing your qi to become a powerful individual rather than um, to embody the will uh, or the Tao of heaven and earth, right? Um, so it's a little problematic, but what I've realized in reading his introduction, now I'm, I'm currently uh, desperately looking for Jung's introduction to... Um, so I've, I have his introduction to the Yijing, I have his introduction to uh, The Secret of the Golden Flower. Uh, I think I found it all, because it was um, his seminars on the Kundalini... Uh, his intro to the I Ching, which I now have. But when you read this, what's interesting is in his introduction for... Jeez, um, uh, who translated it now? Um, Wilhelm. Wilhelm, I apologize. Richard Wilhelm's translation of the I Ching. Uh, he wrote a commentary to... This is, sorry, uh, The Secret to the Golden Flower. In his, uh, Carl Wilhelm asked, my apologies, Richard Wilhelm asked Carl Jung to write a commentary to his new translation. This is Wilhelm's new translation of The Secret to the Golden Flower. And in his commentary, Carl Jung supposedly, for the first time, talked about how he used mantra Mandala, my apology, uh, mandalas to access uh, the act of imagination. So I want to go this one step further and say, no, in reality, what he was uncomfortable uh, sharing, because he makes jokes about astrology and how many people do astrology, I think he was uh, ashamed or, or shy or whatever it might be to admit that uh, it definitely seems like his true... Um, what would you call it, uh, uh, tool to access the active imagination. And here's where I say he went a little further, too, because the Yijing allows one to not just access the sense, uh, or sorry, access the nonsense, right, leaving reason aside. Uh, I do believe that Yijing allows one to access both the sense and the nonsense at the very same time. So, all of these Jungian scholars think that he got uh, a lot of his influence from um, from Mandala, or he really it was influenced by the Chinese, um, the Book of Change. Uh, but what they don't seem to realize is it was more than just influenced him, because he he mentions in his introduction that he spent years uh, trying to access the I Ching, or he was accessing it with an older uh, translation, Lege. I, I've mentioned that I used to use Lege for years myself, because that's all I had access to. Uh, and I don't feel it was as limiting as, as, he, as he made out, but what the difference was, is Lege was just an academic scholarly work, translating the I Ching. It wasn't an attempt to um, 
transmute its actual form and function. So the Book of Change is a, a philosophical treatise, but it is also commonly considered an oracle, but it doesn't really tell you the future. What it, it allows you to do is access your intuition, right? This idea of induction. It allows you to access your anima, your animus, your true soul, um, your guru, as uh, Carl Jung talked about. His character was Philemon, this wise old man who used to come to him. So my thesis, my premise, my, uh, my take is it was actually the Yi Jing. The Yi Jing was what was allowing him to access his intuition, was allowing him to, again, refine his soul, integrate the self and the personas, but more importantly, was his true guide. Philemon, sure, was a character he used um, for this guidance. But I argue the true guru, the true guide of Carl Jung was the Yi Jing. And so just to give a little tidbit, what I've come to realize is similar to how Jung was shocked by how much better Wilhelm's translation was in allowing him to access his own intuition via the Yi Jing. What I realized is in the West, we tend to not use the original method to access the Yi Jing, which is called the yarrow stick method, which you just take a bunch of yarrow sticks and you divide them up. And the number of sticks left uh, when they're counted out, that gives you your, your numbers, right? The numbers give you these lines, either broken, unbroken, uh, changing or not. And I argue because I was able to develop a new way to access the Yi Jing, I use coins. I've mentioned this before, but I use a very special form. Right, because remember, we want to encourage Yang uh, to move and Yin uh, discourage. It's it's all the way it was designed. So the normal probability of the arrow stick method cannot be duplicated with regular coin method because it's far too simple. It doesn't allow Yang to move as much, and it, and it over. Uh, emphasizes movement for yin. So this modified three-coin method, I use a fourth coin just to help mix them up. This modified three-coin method that I use, I used to say it it matches the probability of the arrow stick method. But that's simply the mathematics, the, the, the maths. So the probability is identical between the yarrow stick method and the coin method that I've developed. But here's where we get into the problems of philosophy. Uh, the reason why I laugh about objective truth. This is the thought experiment where we try to figure out, and I'm not talking about something that's objectively truth, true when it comes to universal truths, the, the stuff that we're taught, uh, um, uh, working towards here. What I'm talking about is the philosophical practice, the thought experiment of what is an objective truth, what could be an objective truth, where you strip from uh, the data set, essentially, is the human being, right? So, in this case, 
the yarrow stick method simply mathematically is, you know, well, it's historically the, the original method, but it is very, what would you call it? How would you call that? Um, unique and, and uh, pure, right, as they would say. And so if I were to develop this three-coin method that matches the probability by having uh, uh, a special coin, it actually improves uh, the insight. Or does it hinder it? Because here's the question. I always had a problem with the, the arrow stick method because you can bias it by counting into the sticks. And I wonder if my probability is better or worse. Now, I personally think it's better because since I have adopted this um, modified coin method and adjusted my faith in the process, I have achieved new levels of insight that I just cannot believe. It just doesn't fit chance. So the reason why I was wondering uh, is because if the probability is such with the, uh, the yarrow sticks, is it meant for you to allow your subconscious to bias the results? What I mean by that is, if we're accessing some sort of universal guru or our intuition, is it good that our intuition is able to skew the results because that's the guide that you're accessing? Or are we going to take these people at their word? Because again, I've studied this, it's, it's, it's 35 years at this point. Nobody has ever mentioned that you subconsciously uh, bias the results because the way the arrow stick method works is you're supposed to divide them evenly, not count, but feel for arguably what seems to be an even division, you know, one pile to two, one pile to two, one pile to two. And no one ever mentions that you're, you're counting into the sticks because you're not, you're supposed to feel. So that's why I argue that this new way to access the Yijing is beyond incredible. So currently what I'm working on is, is how did Jung access the Yijing? What was Jung's actual process? Because I argue it is his actual process for accessing um, his imagination. The active imagination, uh, his... Um, individuation was all, I believe, for the most part, not based on what he talks about the mandala, which is a lot easier to explain to the West, but in reality was based on the Yijing. And the reason why, in no small part, I believe that he didn't share this as part of his therapy is be the same reason why I don't do readings for others is because when you're accessing your own intuition... You can't have somebody else do the reading. So, uh, what I'm looking to do is learn what Carl Jung's method of accessing the Yijing was. 
share that, improve it, and teach it to the masses. Right? Because it doesn't have to be the Yi Jing. That's my take. It can be almost any guide if it's relevant. I mean, because I was just listening before I started the podcast, was actually listening to a book that uh, Carl Jung used in the Red Book as an example of what could be a guide. It's The Imitation of Christ by, um, oh gosh, of course, for the life of me, I'm never going to be able to remember that here. Where is it here? Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. And so from that, I realized that, I mean, you could make almost any. It could be uh, the Bhagavad Gita, because in his lectures on Kundalini, uh, Young admits that uh, right, he was using the uh, Yoga Sutra of Patanjali just because it was a little easier to access. Uh, within the Upanishads, we have the same teachings, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, because, I mean, I used Thus Spake Zarathustra as my guide long before I discovered the Bartholthadul. Or, as I've always said, when people have asked me uh, what's a great guide, uh, even uh, a Cliff Notes or a Coles Notes to uh, Buddhism, I recommend the Prana Paramita Hiradaya Sutra. Uh, the Heart Sutra, or the Wisdom, the Perfection of Wisdom Sutra, or the Heart of the Perfection of Wisdom. Because, I mean, it's only, I guess, arguably what, uh, how many pages long? It's, Barely more than one page, right? Uh, the the particular Heart Sutra I have out doesn't have page numbers. What uh, I mean, uh, paragraph number, it has page numbers. Well, that's what threw me. It depends on the translation. Um, I mean, uh, in Chinese, it's only got... Uh, what is it here? 260 characters. That's it. It's more words in English... Uh, Sanskrit, but uh, it doesn't get much shorter than that. So I've always uh, recommended that as your uh, way to access.